Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with a red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, guys, we got a really uh, fun uh, episode planned for today. We got Louis Vacare uh, from the uh, Wildcat Report, the Northwestern Rivals Board, coming on here with, here with us in a little bit. And uh, definitely looking forward to talking to him about kind of some Northwestern recruiting things and uh, sort of the direction of the program. Should be fun. Some really, some really interesting tidbits uh, that I think we're going to get into, and some just some insider info. Like we don't, we don't often get a chance to talk to somebody like Louis. So this is going to be uh, this is going to be pretty exciting. Well, we are very excited to uh, welcome on Louis Vacare from Wildcat Report. Uh, that's the Northwestern Rivals website. Um, thanks so much for joining us on the pod tonight. Well, thanks a lot for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking recruiting for years and years. I mean, that's something that we've been very interested in and, and follow very closely. I know John is sort of our resident expert, if you will, uh, kind of going deep into the numbers. But um, b- before we really dive into the nitty gritty, I'd love to just kind of find out um, what, how did you get started with Rivals? How did have you built out Wildcat Report over the years? Well, how I got started is uh, I answered a message board post. Really, that's that's kind of how it <laughs> happened. I'm uh, I, obviously I'm a Northwestern grad. I've always been a fan, and um, I was perusing the uh, rivals Northwestern message board as I often did, and um, it had gone dormant. You know, there was no one running it, and they someone they had a new like uh, big, big guy running the Big Ten, a Big Ten producer. And he put a post out there, asked for anybody interested, so I replied and uh, kind of talked my way into it. And, um, you know, I, I was a journalism major and everything, so I could write. And uh, I kind of sold myself as a fan and uh, got the gig. And uh, here I am. It's been – it's going to be 14 years in the fall. I started in the fall of 2004. So now I've got actually – you know, it was funny when I started – you know, I had little kids, and they've grown up, and now my daughter is a freshman in college. So now I'm, I'm calling kids younger than my daughter. You know, then pretty sad. I got a, a son who's a sophomore in high school, and you know, we're starting to you know get to his class pretty soon too. It's kind of funny. Uh, so what what's it been like, um, kind of as the times have changed, as technology has grown? Like, um, how how have you been able to build relationships with? Uh, these recruits and, you know, with, you know, texting and now Instagram and Snapchat and all of, you know, all, all the latest and greatest, like how has that evolved over time? Yeah, it's really evolved. You know, it's, uh, it used to be once upon a time when I first started, I used to break virtually all the commitments, you know, because I was the one calling them, you know, and rivals still maintains uh, they got a big database with all the prospects that they have in their uh, in their database and it's got phone numbers and emails and now Twitter handles and all that kind of stuff but I was calling these kids all the time and doing the interviews and stuff so I was the one breaking them now as you know kids break their own commitments most of the time it's they do it on Twitter and Twitter's really become my um, you know biggest uh, connection to these guys that uh you know i'll they'll post that they got an offer or something like that i'll follow them most of the time they follow me back and then you kind of 
start the process there and then you you know ask them if they can do an interview and stuff like that and it kind of evolves from there so it you know social media has vastly changed uh the landscape of recruiting and and the other thing that's happened is the unbelievable acceleration of the pace of recruiting you know when i first started Northwestern would get a few guys before the season, maybe a couple guys during the season, and then most of the action was in December and January, right before signing day. They would get most of their class. And now, you know, they had uh, 16 commits, at the, or 15 commits, I guess, at the start of the football season, and they've only added a couple more. So it's, you know, it's it's accelerated so much. They've already got three kids for 2019 that have, you know, they got commits from. So it just keeps getting faster and faster. And you wonder, you know, how soon it's going to come where, you know, you'll have uh, sophomores committing, I don't know, or when they start, you know, offering kids ninth grade, eighth grade. I mean, it's it's happened in isolated cases, but it seems to just be, you know, going faster and faster and kids are getting uh, recruiting interest earlier and earlier. What's your sense on, like obviously Fitzgerald has had to had to change, you know, his approach to recruiting over over the decade that he's been operating the program. What's your sense on how much of this acceleration that you've seen has been just recruiting across the board, and how much of it has been more like philosophical changes in in how Northwestern approaches this? Oh, I think it's been across the board. I mean, it's it's college football recruiting. Period. It's it's the whole landscape out there, and I think. You know, Fitzgerald has made some adjustments, um, you know, but m- mostly just to keep up with the pace of things. You know, I think, uh, you know, in terms of academics that they get kids in, I- I- I'll give you a good example. Just recently now, we're getting, you know, Northwestern is going to have five um, early enrollees this year. You know, they're, well, they- they've already started in January. They started classes for this uh, 2018 class. So that didn't happen. You know, they used to just have one or two or something like that, and it was mostly the stumbling block was admissions. Well, you know, Fitzgerald has kind of worked with them over the years, and it's got streamlined a little bit, and I think he's built a – you know, they trust him and his judgment a little bit more, and they've kind of worked together, and now they can, uh, they're can they able to get kids admitted a little bit earlier, do the academic review a little bit earlier, and uh, – you know, so that's one area where they're able to, you know, kind of keep up with the Joneses. It's happened throughout college football, and Northwestern is now doing it too. So it's just a, you know, I think most of the adjustments Fitz has made over the years is just uh, reacting to the, the world out there. One of the other ones I, I definitely wanted to ask you about is it was much it was much publicized and talked about early in his career that he wouldn't go after players that had committed to their schools. And I think we've we've really seen that start to relax over I mean it's I don't think it's still the norm for Fitz to do that but I think even just recently there's a cornerback um is it uh Hampton who's who's committed to Toledo and is considering Northwestern has that been a conscious choice or was that just like did they have no choice there that that to to be competitive they just had to start doing that or how's that evolved well, it's a couple things. This year, because of the early signing period, it kind of threw a wrinkle in there. So actually, both of the guys, Northwestern, is they have two outstanding offers out there to kids that they're going after. They're both cornerbacks. A.J. Hampton, which you mentioned, is a Toledo commit, and he's still a commitment. And then there's D.J. Brown, who was a Virginia commit. He had an official visit over the weekend. 
Um, and he, he just decommitted from Virginia today and named the top three of Northwestern, Notre Dame, and Cal. And those are all schools he had official visits to recently. But the way Northwestern saw it is these guys were committed, like in Hampton's case, he committed over the summer, I think it was July, to Toledo. Mm-hmm. But when December rolled around, that early signing period, he didn't sign. So I think to fit you know, he, how committed is he? Is he committed? You know, using the marriage analogy that Fitz always yeah. uses, he kind of left, he left Toledo at the altar. So now he's dating again, right? So, you know, to, to use the metaphor. So that's kind of, that's why they went after both of those kids. Hampton and Brown got offers, you know, after the early signing period. So, and I think that's the right way to do it. I mean, I, I like the aggression there and, you know, when you think about it, how committed are they if they didn't sign in December, right? That they had been committed for a number of months, but when it came time to ink it, they didn't. So, you know, how committed are they? So that that's kind of why Fitz took that action there. And in the past, though, they were very upfront with uh, schools. They would first work through the high school coach and ask is, you know, is Joe – interested in other schools you know would he be interested in northwestern and if the coach comes back and says yes he would be then they might go offer the kid you know things like that and they would always have the kid uh notify the school he's committed to and all that kind of stuff so Fitz was uh you know very above board much more honest and upfront than a lot of the other coaches out there i think to begin with but now with the early signing period, it's kind of changed the landscape again, and I think you'll see them doing that. After the early signing period, they're going to go after kids. So, Louie, I've got a, a couple of different questions, and a couple of them are kind of interlinked, and we can get to them in a second. My first is relative to the early signing period, specifically as it pertains to you. How has this sudden shift in the timeline affected what you do on a day-to-day or week-to-week or month-to-month basis? Um, you know, not too much. I mean, it's, it gave us two signing days and, you know, that's kind of unique. And we had all that, uh, you know, this year they did it in December and Northwestern signed, you know, all, uh, 16 guys that they expected to, you know, and they, you know, it was, uh, it went, you know, Northwestern signing days are usually very uneventful. You know, they, not a lot of spontaneity. <laughs> right. Nobody does. Yeah, nobody does the hat dance. There's there's a, a couple instances where kids, uh, you know, decommitted or Northwestern added a commitment. Like the, I remember when they got Flynn Nagel the day before uh, signing day because they lost a commitment, you know. So stuff like that happened very sporadically over the years, but that was about it. So, you know, how did it change? Not much. I mean, all those kids, you know, they had told me after they committed that they were going to sign in December. That was always the plan. And, you know, Fitz kind of presented the options of you can sign in December or February. Now we'd like you to sign in December. And they all jumped at that. No one wanted to wait. You know, they all wanted to sign, you know, and I think that's a testament to the way Fitz recruits and, you know, uh, that when they get a commitment from a kid, it usually sticks and that, uh, you know, they all wanted to sign early. So, um, but, you know, I don't think it changed that much. And now, you know, the real signing day in February is going to be very uneventful. Northwestern may, they'll have one kid that Sam Stovall that just uh, committed earlier this month. And then they'll have, you know, either AJ Hampton, DJ Brown, or both, you know, my guess is they'll get Hampton. I'm not sure about Brown. I, my guess is he'll probably end up at Notre Dame. Um, so it's base. It's funny you've you've kind of 
teed us right up for uh, something that we really wanted to kind of investigate when we were talking to you, which is we just recently put up a, a piece on our website that was kind of analyzing the based on the Rivals database and Rivals data, basically dovetailing with the same amount of time you've been running Wildcat report of specifically looking at four star recruits and five star recruits, although. Yeah, I saw never- that. Yeah, and we've never signed a five-star recruit, but just the idea of like, okay, looking at the data and seeing, all right, what kind of connections. And when you look at the players, you know, those four- and five-star guys Northwestern has offered over the years and where they've ended up, Notre Dame jumps right off the page. And then we kind of started playing around and being like, okay, you know, do you – you know, is there a corollary there that goes beyond football or beyond region? Whereas, you know, these guys are looking at, and you could, and, you know, we kind of rolled Stanford into it too, or be like, okay, if certain kinds of guys are, you know, are interested in those schools, is there a cross section where, you know, these guys are interested in a certain type of school where they're looking for more? And it's funny, you know, looking at your piece about DJ Brown today, it's just, it's clear looking at his final group, right? With, I think it's, is it Notre Dame, Northwestern, and Cal that, you know, he's right. clear, he's clearly talking about the academic side of it as well as the football side of it. And, and I think you're kind of speculating based on just his look that Notre Dame is the leader because he feels there's that combination of great football and great academics. But of course, we're trying to offer the, so this, the whole thing. And I guess based on that is have, do you feel like based on your conversations with recruits that if, you know, that you do see a connection there that someone's looking at a Notre Dame or a Northwestern, you know, again, obviously we're not Notre Dame when it comes to football, but do you feel like there's a connection where you see a certain recruit happens to be considering that school and Northwestern, you know, for the academics and the program or that kind of overlap? Just curious your thoughts about that. And also kind of has it evolved and shifted over the time you've been running Wildcat Report? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, Northwestern goes after those same kind of kids. You know, their pool that Northwestern can go after, you know, just looking at all the high school juniors out there, they, you know, Northwestern can only go after a small percentage of them, right? They, there's only a, there's a small pool to begin with. And those kids are going to be more, you know, inclined to look at academic schools or, you know, consider academics highly. And, you know, in your academic schools, in college football, Northwestern, Notre Dame, um, Stanford, certainly Duke, uh, Boston college, Vanderbilt, you know, and there, there's maybe a couple others, but that's about it, you know? So those are the schools that Northwestern butts heads with a lot, you know, and Notre Dame, you know, it's, it's, it's Midwest. So it's close to home. A lot of the kids in Northwestern recruits in the Chicago area, you know, that's also close to Notre Dame. So you got the proximity there. They're both academic schools and, you know, Notre Dame has that tradition of football that, you know, Northwestern will never catch up with, you know. And I think that they've made great strides on the football field, and they're much more competitive now. And, heck, they beat Notre Dame the last two times they played them, right? But, <laughs> you know, the, Notre Dame, when they go head-to-head with Notre Dame, they lose much more often than they win. You know, I look at this year, Micah Jones was a wide receiver from Warren High School. Northwestern was on him really early. They were one of his first offers, and they stayed on that kid, and he visited Northwestern, I want to say, eight times. He went to a bunch of games. He was really tight with the coaching staff. They did as good a job as they could, and they lost him to Notre Dame, you know, and that it it happens a lot. Now, Northwestern has landed some kids, you know, that had Notre Dame offers like a Garrett Dickerson who had a brother you know, they went to Northwestern, so that helped a lot. And there's been guys like Afadio Denebo and stuff, but, you know, Notre Dame still gets the better of them. And the same with Stanford. Stanford, 
you know, if, if you're looking at a strong academic school, Stanford's just about the only football school out there that, uh, you know, can beat Northwestern academically. And then you got the weather factor and, you know, Stanford, Stanford, they've been to BCS games in recent years and stuff like that. So they're awfully tough to beat. And those are, that's another school that, uh, you know, Northwestern, it did, those are really the only two, I think, of the academic schools that gets the better out of that gets the better of Northwestern, you know, more often than not. When you're talking to these kids that are that have offers from both, um, it, I mean, can you tell like right out the gate that that they're obviously leaning Stanford or Notre Dame, um, or or are they are they hiding a little bit better, or 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 do they just kind of focus on? Well, let me just tell you about my Northwestern experience, and and let's not talk about those other schools. Yeah, I mean. Look, if you're a smart kid, you're not going to tell a Northwestern, you know, writer that, uh, yeah, I wasn't really impressed with Northwestern and they didn't really show me much and stuff. So, you know, everybody kind of plays that game and they're going to talk up Northwestern. And I tell you, I think everybody I talk to, too, are they always talk about the coaching staff and they're very honest up, up front and they appreciate it and they think the campus is beautiful and you know, a big thing Northwestern really sells is their mentorship program, you know, that, uh, you know, ex-players get great jobs and they, they have these internships in the summer and stuff, and that really resonates with a lot of recruits. Now, of course, they have the practice facility, which is going to really raise the bar, you know, really, I think, put Northwestern to the forefront there, that they'll be able to compete on a facilities level with a lot of these, uh, you know, big-name football schools as well. Um, so I, I think they genuinely like Northwestern. It's just they like Notre Dame a little bit more, and it's that tradition. You know, it's Notre Dame is Notre Dame, always will be. Plus, you know, when it's a Catholic school kid, that adds a whole other thing, right? So, <laughs> we yeah, talked about that, story. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a big thing, right? It's, uh, you know, like uh, th- there's all kinds of kids, so, you know, they have that Catholic school connection, and Notre Dame is the, the you know, Catholic uh, university in the United States, so that that's a big pull. We we kind of highlighted you know we we played with the numbers a couple of different ways and we were kind of yeah like one of the the sweet spots is a guy like a Parker Westfall who's he's in state he's got the Notre Dame and the Northwestern offer but he doesn't go to a Catholic high school and uh and then you know we kind of feel like if you if you've got a guy with those kind of situate that kind of situation um it can work out well it's funny talking about the academics I was I was kind of curious based on the one-on-one relationships, just like Scuzz was talking about, the one-on-one dealings you have with these guys over social media um, or face-to-face, relative to the academic side of it, what's your sense about how Northwestern goes about identifying which guys can make the academic cut as early as they need to do that now in the recruiting process? I mean, we had, I think we've, we've thrown out the name a couple of times, but just like, for example, like a Laquan Treadwell a couple of years back, right? Who was like a, he's from Illinois. He's a nationally rated uh, recruit, right? Who's being targeted by everybody. But how does a Northwestern go in and look at a guy like that and, and make a projection so early on that, that he's, that he's not at the level that he'll need to be and isn't going to get to the level that he needs to be in a time for them to offer a scholarship and compete with everybody else or vice versa, how do they identify a kid who's got those grades so early on? You know, what's your sense of how that comes together? Well, they, I mean, they, one of the first things they do is ask for a transcript. You know, when Northwestern reaches out to a kid and they start recruiting them, they start building a relationship, they have them send the transcript and they, 
you know, they review that. And I think over the years, Northwestern knows, you know, their football staff knows, you know, what they're looking for and what kind of numbers they want and all that kind of stuff. You know, they've, they've learned over the years. Um, so they identify that up front and they look, you know, and they're very honest with kids too. You know, they'll tell them, well, you know, we'll need a, a, a better score. We're, we're going to look for an ACT. We want, you know, if you take the ACT again and you can score a 22 or above or a 25 or above, whatever the magic number is, you know, that that could get them in. You know, that's happened times where, you know, a kid will have to take it a second time or third time and he gets the number, you know, that he needs to get in. Um, you know, so they look at that transcript really early. And then obviously all offers are going to be contingent on continuing that, right? You can't slough off your senior year and, you know, get a couple D's or something like that. You know, you've got to maintain it over time. All, all the offers, you know, there, there have been times where a kid had an offer and, uh, you know, that they didn't do well enough academically and it came down to the wire and it didn't look like they were going to get had time to get in and Northwestern was I remember one kid in particular that you know Fitz went there to his house and said look you got to commit you got to decommit and look somewhere else because we don't think you're going to get in school you know and that that's happened you know in the past too so it's something that it's they're very upfront about it I, I remember talking I'll tell you one kid who ended I'm not going to name his name he ended up at Notre Dame as a matter of fact but I remember I talked to him at a camp. It was a rival's camp. He was a junior, and this kid was spectacular. He he really, I mean, the minute I saw him, I was like, wow. You know, he had, you know, that wow factor, just, uh, you know, just the uh, one of those first off the bus kind of guys, and he was tremendous in drills and had speed and size and everything. And he happened to have visited Northwestern, and I was talking about it, and I asked about his GPA. And he said he had a 2.4 at the time. And I was like, well, what did they say about that? And, you know, he said that they, I would have to get a, you know, whatever. He'd have to get like a, I can't remember what the numbers were, but he'd have to bring that up substantially and get a certain test score. So he knew right then Northwestern was probably out of the cards, you know, at that early time. So, And he ended up at Notre Dame you know, which is kind of funny because Notre Dame is an academic school, but they're not <laughs> nearly as stringent as Northwestern is. I think when, at the top level of, you know, the, the most difficult schools academically to get in on the football side is Stanford and Northwestern. They're, they're a cut above just about everybody else, Vanderbilt, Duke, uh, Boston College, all of them. But I think those are the two that have the highest standards academically. Well, and obviously that makes – the recruiting that much more challenging, right? At both those places. Um, I, I'm curious to hear, you know, cause you've lived this at a very detailed um, kind of granular in the weeds uh, kind of way. Like th there's no doubt that Northwestern is recruiting at a higher level now than um, when Fitz took over the program, than you know, Randy Walker was doing in, in his years. Um, I, how would you, how would you best quantify that? Like, are we, are we, are we galaxies f farther ahead than we were back in the day? Um, or is it, is it, you know, kind of slow and steady progress just of learning how to navigate this difficult, you know, channel that, that, that is required based on the academic standards that the standards that Northwestern has. Yeah, it's been slow and steady progress. I mean, I look at the class, you know, 2018 class, it's pretty much your, nuts and bolts northwestern class you know they got 17 kids they got one four star uh 
Devin O'Rourke, who's a you know Chicago area kid, and a ton of solid three stars, and they got two two stars. You know, so that's kind of where Northwestern's always been, and they rank they rank uh, 60th in the country right now, and they're usually somewhere between 50 and 65, something like that. So that's normally where they are. In in the rivals formula, the size of the class is a mm-hmm. factor. So Northwestern always has smaller classes that always works against them. So they're always going to be a little lower than, but, but they are very good at finding their fit, you know, finding those kids that fit their program academically and on the field. And they identify them early. And a lot of times they will be the first power five offer, sometimes the first offer and they work those kids, you know, and over time and really build a relationship. Um, so they, you know, they very, they do a very good job finding those diamonds in the rough, you know, and, um, I think, you know, their recruiting has definitely gone better. Where I notice it, more so than rankings, is the number of other Power 5 offers. So Northwestern is getting kids with offers from, you know, Iowa and Wisconsin and uh, occasionally a Michigan, a Michigan State, uh, Indiana, Purdue. You know, they're, they're beating Big Ten schools, you know, with the exception of Ohio State. You know, Fitz will tell you he's never beaten Urban Meyer for a kid in Ohio. It's just not going to happen. Um, but other than that, you know, they've gotten to the point where they can compete with a lot of the big time schools and they can beat most of the rest of them, you know, for other players. And, uh, they'll have a, a range of power five offers. And, you know, that's where I've noticed it. Northwestern used to be, you'd see a lot more kids where Northwestern was their only power five offer. And now that's pretty infrequent. You know, most of those guys have several others. And, uh, you know, so they're, they're doing a better job um, against other Power 5 programs, and they really sell that academic part, part of it, you know. Wait, when you're looking at the, this incoming class, um, you know, obviously Devin O'Rourke sitting there at the four stars. Is there anyone else who you're kind of keeping a closer eye on, someone who you might expect to see kind of jump right in and uh, contribute right away? Um, you know, it's hard to say who's going to contribute right away. There's, there's always guys I think will compete. You know, obviously you look at the five guys that are coming in early. You know, those are five guys that, you know, there's a reason for that. Uh, I think Greg Newsom is a guy, we have him as a three-star, and he's a kid I think should be a four. He's a cornerback. Um, he went to Glenbard North, which was the same high school as Justin Jackson, and then he went to IMG Academy for his senior year here. And, you know, he – picked up interest from Notre Dame in Florida when he was down there too. And he's, you know, he stayed uh, committed to Northwestern and signed with them in December. And I think he's a guy that I think will be a, uh, he's got a really high ceiling. Um, in terms of a sleeper, one guy, Andrew, Andrew Leota is a defensive end out of North Carolina. And he was like an under radar kid cause he didn't talk to anybody. You know, he never talked. I, I tried to reach him several times and, he basically never talked to any of the recruiting media, never went to camps or anything like that. And I think he, he had a pretty good offer list, like Tennessee and Virginia Tech. And um, he had several big-time offers. But uh, that's a kid I think has a pretty high ceiling, too. He could surprise some people. That's that's interesting to hear you kind of enunciate that that way because, you you know, I think those of us who aren't don't have our ear to the grindstone the way that you do kind of wonder – 
Well, you're right. Like, where's that disconnect? Where is that? Why is this this guy have this high a rating? But there seems to be that disconnect between his rating and his offers. And in some cases, you're saying it really is that simple that a guy like that who's just not out there beating the drum for himself like that actually can make a difference. Yeah, that that happens a lot. There's, you know, guys that play in smaller programs, you know, that a low-level program that's not like, you know, Illinois, like, you know, Devin O'Rourke's in the 8A program. Lincoln Way East just won the state championship. He's been on TV, you know. He went to that Under Armour All-America game. He's, you know, that's a big name. Even guys like Justin Jackson and Matt Alvedi, those were huge names coming out of high school. Where And a lot of guys that play in, a lower level, you know, they can kind of get lost in the shuffle. Montre Hardage was a kid that, I think his other, he was committed to Georgia State, and Northwestern came in, it was just a couple weeks before signing day and offered him, and he ended up starting, you know, he played as a true freshman, and he's been a two-year starter already, so there's there's tons of stories like that, and I think the biggest one, you guys remember Sherrick McManus? Oh, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, that was a kid, you know, he, he had broken his leg as a junior, and he his other offer, so when Northwestern came in, they offered him, I, want, I can't remember if it was January, I think it was in January, like mid-January, when they came in with an offer. His other offers were like Western Illinois and I think Illinois State, something like that. He had no no interest, he was totally under the radar. Another guy came in, he made some starts as a freshman, you know, he's He's been in the NFL for, I want to say, close to 10 years now, you know. So there are those kinds of kids out there that uh, they get overlooked. And a lot of them, you know, if you get hurt as a junior, that's a, you're way behind the eight ball. By the time, you know, you get some film as a senior uh, for schools to look at, a lot of them are filled up, you know. So there are kids like that that still fall through the cracks. Right. Christian Jones um, and even Scotty Lindsay on the basketball front, I think other examples where we've benefited from that type of situation. Right, Christian Jones, Florida ACL, yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's there's been quite a few of those guys that got injured and Northwestern stuck with them and they ended up there and, and did pretty well. I think one thing dovetailing with what you're saying, kind of in a weird way because – uh, one thing that we've noticed and one thing that I think we plan on doing some research on down down the road is there's one place where there's there's no state where the, the high school football spotlight shines brighter than Texas. But on the flip side, it seems like there are just so many kids down there and there's so much high level high school that there are just a bunch of guys who are never going to find that that they're they're just never going to get those Texas and Texas A&M offers. And it seems like we do a good job grabbing, you know, a lot of those guys. I mean, again, like a Jacob Jefferson just this year, you know, from St. Pius, Venrick Marks High School, um, just as like one example. But I mean, Patty Fisher is an example of another guy where you look at this guy and you're like, how is he not playing for Texas? But I don't think he even had a Texas offer. No, he did not, no. Yeah, and he's a guy too. He came from Katy High School, which is you know they they won a state championship, and he won like the Bednarik Award for Texas or something like that. You know, he was a high profile player. I don't know. He's a guy that I think they missed on. You know, I don't know. You know, I think it was forty time maybe because he's he's a big kid, and but you know he's you see him on the field and you wonder how the heck they could miss a guy like that. Um, but Northwestern has a great presence in the Houston area, and they've had for a number of years. You know, that used to be Fitz's recruiting territory, and then Randy Bates took it over, and now Bates has moved on, and they've got Louis Ieni, the new 
uh, coach on staff that, you know, he's been recruiting Houston for a long time too. And Houston is really a place that Northwestern is really focused on and they've really built a lot of relationships with high school coaches and they've got a name down there. You know, they, they've pulled a lot of kids out of there. And now you see, you know, they've got a kid from Austin and they've had a few from Dallas and they're starting to really work Texas area, you know, Northwestern, it's Illinois, Ohio, and Texas are the three biggest states in terms of uh, producing players. We had, a, we had a lot of thoughts when, uh, so Venrick Mark has long been a, a favorite player uh, of the three of us, um, mm-hmm. you know, through his playing days, we just loved watching him, et cetera. And when they brought him on, I think last year it was to to help be a recruiting coordinator. Coordinator, maybe he was just kind of a grad assistant filling in that role. It felt like, oh man, we're really doubling down on Houston even more. And um, obviously, you know, Jefferson coming from the same high school is is an example where that comes to play. Is he is he still involved um, at a pretty uh, detailed level with the program and, and focusing on Texas, or is that not part of his? Um, his area. Oh no, of, yeah, he's he he works the recruiting. You see him a lot on Twitter, you know. He'll he's following a lot of these kids and he'll retweet stuff and uh you know, so he still has a presence on there and yeah, he's definitely involved uh in recruiting these guys and you know, I'm certainly they they certainly would have them, you know, have him focused on guys in Houston. That just makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that uh he's got some pull there. He's one of their own and uh you know, he certainly knows the landscape of the Houston high school football. I'm kind of curious, Louie, we, we were kind of talking before we had you on and, and things we'd be interested to know, you know, over the breadth of your experience, and I don't know if, if, if examples jump out or if they don't, but, you know, we were talking about, is there a case over, you know, over your 13 going on 14 years where there's been a guy that you were just sure we were was going to be a wildcat and then it didn't come to fruition and then on the flip side you know a guy where you just could not have been more surprised when he inked with the cats um that's a good question i think uh you know Fadio Denebo was one i think surprised a lot of people it didn't surprise me though after talking to him a couple times cuz he seemed i don't know he seemed like a a Northwestern kid. Um, there's certainly been, there's been a lot of guys I think that surprised me that they went somewhere else. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, off the top of my head, if anybody comes to mind, uh, I remember, you know, uh, Charlie Mangieri is in this class, 2018. Right. You know, he, he's a super back, right? So his older brother, Nick, was a recruit, I don't know how many years ago now, six, seven or something like that. And he's a guy, their uncle are the Sutter brothers, Ed and Danny. You know, uh, Fitz played with Danny in the 90s there. Ed was like late 80s, early 90s. And, you know, they grew up with Northwestern football and that whole thing. And Nick visited many times and they offered him early and everything like that. And they lost him to Indiana. You know, and that that one, uh, that one stunned me. That, that one really surprised me at the time. And and so now Charlie is coming to Northwestern, so that's good to see. But, um, you know, there's there's been a lot of guys like that where I – so many times, you know, these are high school guys. They're hard to read. You know, a lot of times you – and they're telling me what 
they think I want to hear, you know, and like I said before, you're going to tell the Northwestern guy positive things about Northwestern. You're going to tell the Iowa guy positive things about Iowa. So sometimes it's kind of hard to to read, uh, but you, a lot of times I'll, I'll go on to, you know, I'll talk to a kid, I'll interview him, and it, I just get that feel he's a Northwestern kid just from, you know, the, the things he's saying and the things that are important to him and the things he's looking for and the way he talks about the coaching staff and, you know, I'll go on my the rock, the premium message board right away, and I'll put on, you know, I predict that so-and-so will be a wildcat. And, you know, I'd say nine times out of ten I'm right, you know, that you, you can just sense it sometimes that uh, they'll end up in Evanston. Uh, one question I, I did have, um, is is there, like, some big misconception about Northwestern recruiting that, you know, Northwestern fans are really hung up on that, you know, just couldn't be more wrong from at least a fan's perspective? Um, I don't know if there's any misconception. I, I will say, you know, a lot of people look at the academics, right? You know, we we already talked about it, that they can only go after a certain number of kids and they have a much higher bar than anybody. And everybody thinks that kind of holds Northwestern back. You know, in my experience, I think it's the other way around. I think that's what gives Northwestern an edge. You know, I think if they didn't have those academics to sell, I think, you know, Northwestern, you look historically, you know, we're kind of like an Indiana or Purdue or something. We've been better lately, but over time, you know, it, I think we'd be, you know, a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team, and it'd be awfully hard to differentiate Northwestern from other schools kind of in the same boat where they really sell that the academics and the mentorship and you know no matter what happens in your football career if you get that northwestern degree you're set for life you know that's something that they really sell it's a 40-year decision not a four-year decision and i think that's what makes you know that's northwestern's niche that's their pitch that's their unique kind of mark the way they market themselves and i think it's not a hindrance i think it's it's why northwestern does as well in recruiting as they do is because of those academics and those high standards so i think uh you know i think a lot of people look at it as a negative but i've seen it where i think it's the differentiating factor for the school and yeah it's going to cost you kids that you can't go after but i think so many times that they get kids that probably wouldn't be otherwise looking at Northwestern if it wasn't for those academics. It's funny where you're saying that I was, I was doing some research and looking at kind of the rivals database and guys we've recruited from Texas over the years. And one of the largest crossover schools that we have where guys have guys we're recruiting from Texas, have a Northwestern offer and an offer from school X was Texas tech. And I just was looking at that thinking, why in God's name would you go to Lubbock, Texas? <laughs> you, and <laughs> yeah. and that like like you must love Texas if that's if those are your choices and that's the choice that you're making. It's also funny, you know, you're talking about um, you know, we've we've had Jacob Schmidt on the pod before and talking about the mentorship program and everything that they offer mm-hmm. and all the fantastic things that Northwestern does. And you know, I've I've read so many pieces you've written over the years where it'll be like so and so you know, just had his visit or just had his visit. And it's always rates his visit 10 out of 10 rates his visit nine out of oh, 10, yeah. nine out of 10, 10. And I'm always like, just once, just for, I almost just like, it was like a seven, <laughs> six, six and a half. Yeah. I, I've gotten some eights. I've gotten some, yeah. I've gotten some eights for kids that ended up in Northwestern, you know? So yeah. it's, 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 no, it's good. It's good. It's, they, they should be looking with a critical eye. Hey, this could have been better. <laughs> 
Yeah. So the, the I mean, obviously the the goal of all this, um, uh, you know, recruiting effort and stuff is results on the field. And I'm curious how you feel about the state of the program now. Um, you know, in the context of of your life as an NU fan, and uh, specifically also, you know, the the Fitz era. Yeah, well, I think you know Northwestern is in a spot. You know, they're they're in a great spot right now. You know, coming off of this season, they won seven in a row. You know, I I wasn't as high on. You know, a lot of people, you know, thought it was a phenomenal season and everything. And I don't know. I kind of, I think they ended up about where I thought. You know, it's just they they stumbled out of the gate. And uh, you know, when they were sitting there early in the season at. Uh, you know, after losing their first two Big Ten games, it, it looked like a pretty bleak season, and then they won seven in a row. But you look, you know, the only really, I think, good team they beat there was Michigan State. So, I, I, you know, I, I didn't think last year was – I thought they met expectations. I didn't think it was a great year. But, um, you know, where, where they are right now with, uh, you know, Fitz is firmly entrenched there. They've got the new facility that's going to be opening in the spring. They've, they've got a lot to, you know, pitch recruits and – um, I think they're they're in a great spot right now. You know, Fitz has gotten the program to where they're a consistently, you know, a bowl team. You know, they've had some dips here and there, but I think that they they are at a spot where they can win, you know, six to eight games a year. You know, somewhere in that neighborhood, and then you know, hopefully, the thing he hasn't done is contend for a Big Ten title. And yeah, they, he's won ten games three times, but they didn't really. They didn't really contend for for a title. Even this year, you know, they won ten, but they lost those first two, and they were kind of out of the race in October. So um, that's where I where I think he's got to make that next step. And you know, he's talked about that that they, you know, they he signed through twenty twenty six now, I think it is, or whatever it is. And you know, he said that's a championship level commitment, and that's that's what his expectation is now that they will compete for championships and he's got the palace on the lakefront now and you know the rumor is they're going to be putting money into the stadium next and you know so he's got things where they want them so now i think he's got to take that next step and um you know we'll, we'll see where that goes but you know in terms of where the program is i mean i think you know with fits there you know they're, they're in good shape you look at jim phillips and Fitz and Chris Collins and uh, you know things are in pretty darn good shape in Evanston. Well, one last question, and we'll let you go. And again, thanks so much for for taking the time to jump on with us. Um, you, you mentioned the uh, the message boards on Wildcat Report, and I, I'd love to just get a sense from you. What's it like, kind of moderating <laughs> that insanity? It's terrible. I, I tell you what. That's, uh, <laughs> You know, I'm I'm a fan at heart, and you know I enjoy being close to the program, and I built relationships with people in the program, and and the players, and things like that. And I enjoy covering the team, and I enjoy you know talking to recruits and following recruiting and everything like that. And but to me, yeah, the the worst part of the job is moderating the message board. I've I've got some other people that help me do that, and I've kind of I'm much more removed than I used to be. But it is terrible. You know, it, it, you know, you can imagine after the Penn State game, right? Oh, so you got yeah. blown out. That was an ugly week, you know. And then it, it's happened so many times where, you know, it's 
when you win, everything's great, and when you lose, everybody's sniping at each other, and things get personal, and people, you know, fire. They wanted, you know, years ago, I, I use this all the time, because this year it was Adam Cushing was the whipping boy. Everybody wanted Cushing out, and he's had long enough, and they, Fitz has got to make changes, and if it wasn't Cushing, it would be McCall, and maybe Spring or two. You know, people wanted him to clean house, and I look back about five years ago, maybe eight years ago, it was Jerry Brown was the guy that they had to get rid of him and he's holding him back. And it was all those same things. They had to fire Jerry Brown. And then it's funny, you know, they got some good players in there and suddenly he's a much better coach and everybody loved the guy. And he was uh, one of the most beloved coaches in Northwestern history, you know? So I, I always kind of keep that in the back of my mind when people calling for coaches heads, I think, Oh yeah. You know, not too long ago it was Jerry Brown and he turned out to be a, uh, you know, one of the the most liked coaches out there, one of the most respected. So, it, it's 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 a thankless job. It's it's a difficult job to try to be consistent, and you know, people start. You know, and the the, the thing that drives me crazy is, you know, we're all Northwestern fans on the board, but that doesn't matter. They just go after each other and they bring up stuff. Well, you posted this, you know, a year ago or two years ago, and <laughs> it's it's insane. People have way too much time on their hands, and it's a uh, it's a difficult job. I'll tell you, it's uh, it's something I I can't stand that part of the job. Well, we well, we thank you for doing it. That's for sure. You're, you're, it go it doesn't go unnoticed or unappreciated. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. I, it's like I said, it's it's difficult. You know, a lot of people when they become sports writers. You know, I, I hear this from a lot of veteran sports writers that they kind of lose their passion for the game or their love. You know, it's it's one of those things. Once you see how the sausage is made, you don't, you know, that kind of thing. But to me, I haven't. I I still, you know, I still enjoy football. I, I love going to those games, and um, you know, I like being around the program and stuff like that. But to me, it's fans suck. You know, <laughs> they're never happy, you know, and they're always, you lose one and they're all over you. And I tell Fitz that all the time. You know, Fitz will say, oh, how are the guys on a message board or something like that? And I tell him, you know, this happened or this happened. And, you know, and I said, well, they all have one thing in common, Fitz. They're all smarter than you. That's you know? <laughs> the truth. Everybody's smarter than the head coach. We we try to keep a, a level head, but we've had you know we've had our moments where we get frustrated with stuff. Um, oh, sure, but it's you know fan is short it for fanatic, right? Place. So yeah, it comes from a good place, and and Northwestern is you know one tenth of you know you can imagine what it's like trying to police the Ohio State board when they lose or something <laughs> like that. Oh, it's got to be insane. It's it's Armageddon every week there, you know. So, you know, I'm really uh, complaining, you know, it's peanuts. I'm in a very small pond. Well, Louis, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to jump on with us tonight. Uh, we really do appreciate it, and uh, we'll have to catch up again down the road. Yeah, sounds great. I really had fun. I, thanks for having me on, and, uh, you know, we'll see you guys soon, I'm sure. Absolutely. Once again, that's Louis Vicaire with the uh, Northwestern Wildcat Report, uh, Northwestern Rivals website. Um, fantastic stuff. I mean, that was that was really really cool to talk to him. Uh, hear a little bit more about kind of the the ins and outs of the Northwestern recruiting cycle. Louis does a lot of great work for us people, so be nice on the message boards. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh man. Yeah. Um, no, that was, that was great. That was great. I really, I, I thought it was pretty interesting. Like, you know, the way he described talking to a kid, especially, and it just coming across that they're just a real Northwestern kid. And that, uh, what, like nine times out of 10 or whatever, you know, whatever high percentage of the time, like he's usually right when he says, yep, that's a Northwestern kid. They're coming to NU. And I think, I think it's interesting probably how that's evolved over the years as Fitz has tried to, um, recruit more, you know, high profile guys, guys that have a lot of other, uh, power five offers. And, and I don't know, just, it kind of fits in a lot of the other things that we've been talking about on this podcast over the years of just gradual improvement in how this program operates. And, uh, we're just seeing it in all facets. Well, so we don't get ourselves down, uh, with talking hoops or getting into just the, uh, growing crater that is Michigan State. We'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Um, we'll definitely have a lot more to talk about uh, next week and moving forward. But for now, we'll go ahead and continue our search for the Spoley Grail. So, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this from, from going uh, too far off the rails. Um, we expressed a lot of anger last week about Michigan State, rightfully so. And my God, we probably could have expressed a lot more anger with everything that has come out since then. But I mean, essentially, at, at the point we were at, we didn't know yet that um, of, of the complicated uh, path that all these uh, additional insights about the football program and basketball program have come out over the last uh, week since we recorded, and. So a couple a couple quick observations, I guess, about about Michigan State. A, I think both their coaches are probably going to get canned um, at some point in the next uh, six to twelve months. The other interesting thing I, I heard, a, and this is this is ultimately what I kind of wanted to get to. I heard a great conversation um, on the Audible podcast with Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel. They had Nicole Auerbach uh, on that program. She's been following this story very very closely, and her point was kind of that you know the biggest problem at Michigan State. In, you know, including the Nasser stuff, like like is, when you step back and look at all of this, it, it's it's this this sense of inaction uh, and of doing nothing with the information. Um, unlike Baylor, there there doesn't appear to have been a uh, a cover up or or a, an effort to suppress either the um, reporting of charges or the knowledge of charges. Now, recently, Michigan State tried to uh, evade some ESPN Freedom of Information Act type requests. So uh, there's been a little bit of, of nefarious behavior uh, on their on their part from the administrative perspective. But from an athletic perspective, like you didn't see the type of crap that was going on at Baylor. But there's just this this sea of inaction. And it, it feels very much like Penn State. I and mean, we talked a lot about these these th- three programs last week and, and what you know, what Michigan State is, uh, or is not. And it just it, it, it I think where I'm ultimately landing here is, is Michigan State is kind of this maybe not worst case, but close to worst case firestorm of what is likely happening at every university in, in this country. And that I don't think anybody is being as active as they should when these, uh, when accusations are raised or um, red flags are, are raised. I, I think everybody has work to do. I think that's part of what this whole me too movement is about. Um, 
So I just I think it's I, I think it's interesting to watch this to continue to play out. I think there's going to be some real ramifications at the highest levels of athletics in Michigan State, not and not just uh, Hollis resigning the athletic director. So uh, a story that we're all going to be watching um, kind of churn and swirl over the next uh, over the coming months. And uh, you know, hope hopefully there's there are no more. Uh, victims that come out in the woodwork uh, as as this goes forward, and, and this is simply um, fixing the problems that exist uh, with accountability and action as it relates to these uh, to these uh, accusations and occurrences. I I promise my final thought is just as weighty as Scuzz's, and that's because it's about Johnny Football. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and honestly, not even not even legitimate Johnny Football news. Uh, the story of the day is he had self-imposed a deadline uh, for his negotiations with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, who hold his uh, CFL rights. Um, and that deadline has kind of come and gone. So, but it sounds like they're still trying to work on negotiations and get something done. I'm sure it's because his agents asking for way more money than uh, than they want to pay. I think their current starting quarterback, Cincinnati's own Zach Caleros, um, is I think was the incumbent starter, and he's making 500 grand a year. And uh, obviously, I'm sure Johnny Football is angling for a lot more than that. Which you know, given the pub he would generate, not not uh, unwarranted, but it's funny because, of course, looming in the shadow of all of this is Vince McMahon's announced second foray at the XFL. And if there's anyone who screams XFL, it's Johnny Football. So um, they, you know, the agent makes allusions to potential other other avenues we might pursue, and it's like, do you mean the XFL? Because I'm I'm sure you do. So it's probably this carrot he can dangle in negotiations, but. But come on, Johnny, uh, take whatever they'll offer you and get your butt out on the football field and maybe actually make some positive headlines for once and stop making me look like such an idiot on a week-to-week basis. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of the XFL, I, I'm sitting here wondering if my old XFL press pass is going to work uh, this the second time around. Um, I should imagine you know rolling up to Soldier Field in April if Chicago gets a team you know, flashing an old Las Vegas Outlaws uh, hey, XFL press pass. Hey, Garth Robertson and I walked into, I think it was a Marshalls in Northwest Suburban Chicago and cleaned out their Chicago Enforcers jerseys for like a dollar a piece at one point. So, you know, can they, can we run those back? Can those come back into fashion? <laughs> maybe we should, maybe we should apply for credentials with the XFL. Why not? <laughs> yeah, Why not? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Uh, so for my final thought, um, you know, one fun little uh, piece of Northwestern uh, related to NFL news, um, and that's uh, Mike Kafka is now the quarterbacks coach in Kansas City. Um, after a year as a grad assistant for Northwestern, he was, uh, I guess, offensive quality control uh, for the Chiefs, and with the Chiefs OC moving to be the head coach of the Bears now, uh, everyone's sort of moving up a little bit, and that. Uh, let's Kafka go into uh, Kansas City, and now he's uh, going to be the quarterback coach for their new starting quarterback, Pat Mahomes. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if Kafka's uh, freewheeling uh, history, uh, thinking back to the Outback Bowl against Auburn, if he's able to uh, harness Pat Mahomes' cannon of an arm and uh, 
hopefully throw lots and lots of interceptions to Broncos defensive backs is, is what I'm hoping. But let, uh, me, this let me just let me just add to that. Roger Sherman had a huge piece on the ringer today about Pat Mahomes. You couldn't mention Kafka one time, Roger. Come on. Where's <laughs> where's the love, man? Where's the purple love? Oh, I was going to say that uh, Kafka's freewheeling style is clearly uh, an output of being just, you know, mentally zen, having a real philosophical understanding and self-reflective uh, approach to meditation. At least I assume so. <laughs> I don't get the reference, but... Uh... Well, just, you know, Kaf- Kafka the... Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, okay. God. Oh, oh my God. Right. Wow, wow. <laughs> it is... Wow. <laughs> it is late... Uh, we should wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and uh, leave it there for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Westlaw Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlaw of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.